0: Welcome to Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada. You know, most of us have heard about Christians suffering for their faith in Jesus. And I think we think about persecution mainly, you know, how it impacted believers in times past or maybe even hostile nations today. You know, maybe you think of like North Korea, China, Nigeria, or Pakistan, but really far removed from our daily lives. But my guess is that those who follow Jesus in this fallen world can expect persecution Regardless of where you live, but it's important to know that there are various stages of persecution. So over the next two episodes on this podcast, we are going to explore the different stages or levels of persecution. Floyd Brobel is the CEO of the Voice of the Martyrs Canada and recently released his first book called Trouble on the Way, where he shares from his decades of experience with persecuted believers around the world. Floyd, welcome to Closer to the Fire.
1: Hey, Greg. Good to be here. Thank you for uh, having me.
0: Uh, excited about the new book. Um, but before we launch into that and talk about, you know, the different kinds of the stages of persecution, I mean, for you, you grew up in a home that uh, the persecuted church was front and center. Your parents started Voice of the Martyrs mm-hmm. Canada back in 1971.
1: That's true. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up with uh, parents who uh, engaged with the Wembrandts. Um, and started the ministry work in Canada. I don't think that they ever really envisioned uh, Voice of the Martyrs in Canada growing as big as it did, or that it would consume their life as much as it did. But uh, as as Wormbrand, uh, his name began to grow worldwide, and and uh, his message began to be received in churches, um, ministries across the world called voice of the martyrs or wormbrand inspired missions really took off and uh, and that was the same here in canada and um yeah it it uh it became very much uh, a part of uh the Bruble life for sure
0: now you didn't want to be involved with the persecuted church because you've seen you know these photos of some pretty graphic things of what Christians went through for their faith. So tell me about what it was like as a child and being exposed to that.
1: Yeah, I think it was both fascinating and, and horrifying at the same time. It was fascinating to meet the Wormbrands. It was fascinating to have them in our home, even as kids listening to uh, Pastor Wormbrand speak or, or being with Sabina Wormbrand at the book table uh, it was a fascinating time, and I think that we were, as kids, my brothers, uh, my brother and sister, and I were enthralled by his message. But for me, and I, and I think my siblings as well, um, it, it we we also then got exposed to some some pretty graphic things. So you know, we we would see some photographs of persecuted Christians or Christians that had been martyred, or you know, hear some of the stories from Richard warmbrandt and. I I think uh, at that time uh, it it was difficult to know how to disseminate this type of information for kids. And so for me, you know, uh, all I could associate persecution with was the terrible things I saw or heard. And um, yeah, that kind of scared me from the ministry. So I, I kept the ministry at arm's length. Certainly I felt. Sorry for persecuted Christians, which, you know, we come to discover now and and same with you, Greg, have known that's not what they want. They don't want us to pity them or feel sorry for them. Uh, But that time I, you know, I felt sorry for them. And that would motivate me from time to time to pray for them, pray for persecuted Christians. But for that message, you know, that uh, if if uh, if every uh, every Christian can expect to be persecuted, that was a scary thing for me to, to embrace simply because I didn't understand what that, what that meant. And all I could equate persecution with was, was the Wormbrand stories, right? Thrown in prison, tortured horribly, and him telling stories of how pastors and, and uh, Christians were, were martyred or killed in prison. Um, I, I just kind of at that point just uh, mentally uh, checked out, if you will.
0: Yeah, I guess if uh, you don't have to see it, maybe it won't happen to you. But you did have personal contact with uh, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. And again, I think there's the generation before you and I, most of them had that personal connection with Richard, the new generation, yourself and others leading around the world. But you're one of the few, Floyd, that actually has that personal connection, maybe not as much to Richard, but, you know, certainly Sabina.
1: Yeah, uh, to both. Uh, Richard was also, also always, of course, very busy. And uh, whenever they were stayed at our home, uh, we got bombarded by uh, many uh, Russian-speaking uh, visitors and guests, and uh, a whole new a whole new culture opened up to us. And uh, we our house was full of loud-speaking people, all wanting to meet Richard Warmbrandt and uh, and Sabina, of course. Uh, but it was it was in those sometimes those quiet moments that uh, uh, we got to know Richard and Sabina. So, you know, they when they would leave our house and, and uh, they would they would write a check to my parents and say, this is for the kids. And we were always thrilled because it was a U.S. check, which means that uh, if it was twenty five dollars per kid U.S., of course, it was more Canadian. Mm. Uh, so they would always leave a little gift for us and encourage us. And uh, at meetings, you know, we would listen to Richard speak, but uh, we would often be with Sabina at the book table, helping her do all kinds of things, watching her work, her magic, and getting uh, the books, uh, the brand books into people's hands and her bundle deals and all those things. And uh, uh, she, was, she was quite a force at the book table, and we enjoyed those moments uh, with them when we had them.
0: So what changed then, Floyd? I mean, you you grew up in St. Thomas, Ontario. Uh, you know, you go on to school, you start pursuing a career. And then in the early 2000s, uh, your heart either started to change, because I mean, the first time we met was at a conference out in Ontario. And, right. you know, you were kind of in that point, I guess, you know, what is God calling me to do now? you sort of were in between. Did you ever dream, though, that it would be the voice of the martyrs and, and you know, the ministry that your mom and dad started? Yeah, you know, I guess always in the
1: back of my mind, I had a feeling that I would end up with with Voice of the Martyrs in some capacity. Um, at, the, at the time that you were referring to, I was I was working in a wholesale company and I was uh, working my way up the ladder, if you will. Um, had done a number of jobs and working my way into management and and. Uh, was in management and team leading in a department and then eventually managing in a department. But yeah, I, I received the call one day from my mom and, and she just called out of the blue and, and she had this message that uh, a son of one of the directors uh, had been killed in a hit and run. And this was the son of Dr. P.P. P. Job in uh, India, who was leading a Wurmbrandt ministry in India, and uh, he believed that uh, his son, Michael, I think it was a third year medical student, was, was targeted uh, by those who uh, opposed him and his work and they decided to target his son. And uh, as he was walking down the street, they, they, uh, they ran him over with a car and, and it was a hit and run. And uh, I think he died fairly shortly after that accident. And uh, so my mom called to tell me this story. I didn't know Michael. Of course, I knew of Michael. I knew of Dr. Job and his work in India. So I knew that, uh, you know, a little bit of his family. Uh, but for some reason, that, that story just, it resonated. And I, I, I equate it with like when you throw a pebble uh, in, in, a, in some water, you see, you see it make a little dent, but then the ripples become bigger and bigger. And I think that story... Uh, did that in my heart. It, it, I, I knew that for some reason the story was registering, but then over the years, the, you know, the ripple effect, it became bigger and bigger and bigger. And it all culminated to a point where, I think in that very same conference we met, Greg, that um, all the ICA, all the VON ministry leaders were, were at a conference and uh, you were there filming and interviewing certain speakers. And I think I was leading worship uh, for the conference. And then on the Sunday, we actually had, uh, Dr. PP P. Job come and speak in our church. And it was at that church service then that he started speaking about losing his son and, uh, and sharing that story. And of course, that just brought up this whole, uh, effect again for my, uh, for me. And I, I just felt the Lord speaking to my heart as, as, as uh, Dr. Job was sharing, um, just, just asking if if I was ready to follow him, and uh, and I said yeah I was ready to follow, and that certainly was a call that that uh, Dr. Job was giving. Are are we willing to follow, uh, even if it means a road of suffering? And and many people were responding to that call, and I was one of them. And then uh, as soon as I said yes, Lord, I'm willing to follow you, he also then said even if that means working for Voice of the Martyrs and. Uh, there was a little bit of a hesitancy on my part but then yes i said yes lord even if it means working for voice of the martyrs and so you you just see this this the lord bringing it full circle uh, back at me and and i remember him clearly asking me at one point and and again just the lord speaking to my heart asking me since when is your life about what you want what about the plans that i have for you what about the plans that i uh, planned for you before you were even born and uh, and uh, so I said yes. I want to. I want to follow that plan. And that eventually led me to uh, to calling up Glenn Penner, who was then the uh, uh, not CEO. He was the development director, I believe, yeah. at, uh, at VOM Canada. And we started chatting, and uh, I became an uh, approved rep, much like you, Greg. Yeah. You were I think the first two or three approved reps of VOM Canada. And that's how it started.
0: And then eventually, you took a, a trip overseas, and I mean, I think one of the things if you can get somebody overseas, it really does right. something it 'll either say that 's it i don 't want nothing to do with this, or like you and I, you just got a big hook into our hearts. So how has it affected you this past twenty years Floyd uh, traveling around the world, meeting persecuted Christians, uh, because again, as a child, you had this you know this fear that maybe if you get too close to it, you might end up like them. But you start mm-hmm. to meet them and and hear their stories. How did that impact you?
1: Yeah, I, I I whenever anybody asks me that question, I think of Hebrews eleven, and I think I think of that line in Hebrews eleven. I forget what verse what number verse it is, but uh, then there are those that the world is not worthy of. For these are those that the world is not worthy of, and and I think of you know we we get to um, sit. Uh, Greg, when we go overseas, we get to sit with people that the world's not worthy of, hmm. because they they seek to live um, their life for Jesus, and they, you know, they don't want to necessarily suffer. It's not like they're asking for persecution, but if it comes, it comes, and they uh, they live their lives for for God, and they realize that, you know, if they lose their life on this earth, then they, you know, they they gain it, and so they they ask us that you know, their, their number one prayer is that we pray that they would remain faithful to their Lord and Savior. And uh, time and time again, when you meet and sit with with uh, persecuted Christians and they tell their stories of hardship, I mean, that's the general theme that comes out. And how can you not be impacted and motivated by that? You know, when you hear stories of of forgiveness, of, uh, of people, you know, sometimes working working through forgiveness for some of the hard things and and persecution that they went through, and, and oftentimes though so we hear stories where where forgiveness is instant, and it's just simply because of the road that they've walked, that that they've 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 entered into uh, this relationship with Jesus. Many of them converting to Christianity, leaving their former religion, and so they they come to Christ, knowing that there's a cost to pay, and uh, and so then when things happen, they're not caught off guard by. persecution that comes their way and so uh, they then also are in a much better place to quickly forgive and and uh, i know that uh, you and i have sat through many interviews one of them pastor lalani in sri lanka where her husband was was killed and and uh, they just had a little boy and um, she just she was in the ambulance uh, realizing uh, that uh, she was was transporting her her dead husband to the hospital, um, and yet and yet there was this instant forgiveness for the people that 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 killed her husband, and and then a, an instant love for them that she would continue to do the work and minister to them. Yeah, when you sit and listen to those stories, uh, not just online or not through a video, but face to face, we're sitting down having a meal with her, and she's telling the story and and the tears and 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 all these things, the expressions. Uh, of, of, of listening to someone relate that. Yeah. Your life has changed and, uh, and you realize that uh, there's so much that we can learn uh, from these people more than maybe even a sermon could ever teach us because it's real. It's, it's sometimes we, we get, we hear people in, in their most rawest moments where they share and, and, you know, like torture for Christ. I think one of the powerful uh, elements of that book is that it, it's raw. Richard Wormbrand was was ransomed out of Romania, and I think he spent the first three days in in his freedom writing that book. It's raw. It's real, and it 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 cuts it cuts to the heart with some of the things that he says. And same with the testimonies of those that we 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 hear.
0: Yeah, you know, you mentioned Lalani, and when, and I'm, you know, and as a question and answer time, you know, it's sometimes at the end of a church service or conference and, or I'm asked, what does, you know, who's the most impacting Christian? I said, well, there's a long list, you know, there's oh, yeah. Kelly in Colombia. there's, you just, yeah. I mean, the list go Mrs. Kim in North from North Korea, but Lalani yeah. from Sri Lanka is, you know, right up there. It's just an amazing story. So for 20 years, you have been involved with the Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, You're now the CEO of the ministry, and you've written a book called Trouble on the Way. And I know this has been brewing a long time, and our good mutual friend, Dr. Eric Foley, Voice of the Martyrs in Korea, good friend of ours, kept encouraging you to write it. So finally, you started to work on it, and you started to formulate the thoughts. So when you sat down and started to write, Floyd, what was the goal of the book?
1: I think I think. Well, first of all, uh, I was I was I had a different book in mind, and I started to write uh, with that book in mind and the theme of that book. Uh, but as I opened up this this book and really started uh, the introduction, uh, wrestling with with persecution, uh, I just realized that the, that this was the book. Trouble on the way was the book that needed to be written, focusing on the persecution scale the. You know the the levels of persecution or the degrees of persecution that we see, um, but my heart and my hope was that I would be able to uh, primarily address an, a Western audience, not not acquainted with with persecution. So so as a kid, you know, you heard my story, how I struggled with understanding persecution, and and then being blessed to be able to join VOM and and sit with people like Glenn Penner and. Uh, who wrote uh, In the Shadow of the Cross, The Theology of Persecution and Discipleship, and then then take those elements and and see overseas and and meet firsthand persecuted Christians, how they are practically living out their faith and how they're dealing with the different levels of persecution that come their way.
0: Um, And then looking
1: to us and and looking at me in the West and say, I am so woefully unprepared for anything that comes my way. And... uh, and I started looking at our, our persecution scale that starts with, with ridicule and, and works its way through the varying degrees, you know, harassment, defamation, uh, moving to more of the hostile forms of persecution with imprisonment, torture, right to martyrdom. Um, and and thinking, how, how can I write something? How can I convey uh, to people like me, you know, Christians in Canada or in the U.S., wherever they are, Um, that that are grappling with what does persecution look like for me you know because we read in the bible um like like we know that one in in timothy right that 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 we hear everybody or everyone that seeks to live a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted and we're trying to get our heads around that fact what does that look like and i think sometimes we we think that uh, persecution is, is, is only the hard things that come, right? So it only starts when, it, it, when you get imprisoned for your faith or when you get tortured or beaten up, right? We don't think some of the lighter stuff as a form of persecution. But then on the other scale, you get people that call everything persecution.
0: Right. And I just uh, to interject. It's... Yeah, I was just going to interject. Like, I mean, I think mean, one of the things that Glenn Penner had said is if you make everything about persecution, right. then it diminishes persecution. Now, right. if somebody is sick, well, that's not persecution right. or going through financial difficulty, unless the reason you're suffering that financial difficulty is because you are a Christian. So I think Glenn. I, I mean, Glenn was as a brilliant theologian. He got. I know he got you and I thinking a lot. What yeah, is true persecution? So I think we, if we don't have that sort of that grid, and there's you know things that have been happening in Canada over COVID, and you know, we won't get into that too much because if you want to hear a podcast, Don Hutchison, who is a lawyer, right. we discussed that on a previous Close to the Fire episode. But we do have to work through what the Bible says. So right. let's start off. With ridicule um, from your book, because I think a lot of people could say, "Oh yeah, okay, I'm a Christian, and okay, I don't, I don't go through what they go through in Pakistan." That's right. true, but that doesn't mean you're not being persecuted. So ridicule that's is right. kind of where it starts. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, so I, so I think that's an interesting place to start because I, I don't think most people would see ridicule as persecution. But if you think what what is the intent of persecution and what is the intent of the persecutor, right? The intent of persecution and the intent of the persecutor is to shut down Christian witness or destroy Christian witness, right? Mm-hmm. Now, sadly for, for many of us in the West, ridicule is, is a form that does it for us. Now, ridicule is a, is a, it can be a constant, ongoing thing, right? And so we, we, we don't want to necessarily say it's a lesser form of persecution, um, because it can be just as effective as, as some of the more extreme forms of persecution that come our way. Right. And so I don't think at the end of our life, we're going to come and say, well, you know, uh, I was, I wasn't really as persecuted as, as that person. So I'm not as good. Right. I don't think our, the level or the amount of persecution that we face in life is what counts. It's our faithfulness right. in the midst of whatever opposition we face. That matters. And so for the West, I think many of us have to grapple with being uncomfortable and being willing to be ridiculed for our faith, right? Um, And so how is ridicule being effective? I think it's effective because many Christians want to live a private faith. You know, we're told that faith is meant to be private. And yet the Bible teaches us that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and make disciples. Well, how can you do that if your faith is private, right? So when we step out, when we talk to our neighbors or when we, we you know, we meet people in the street or we engage people in our sphere of influence or community and uh, what we may call, uh, you know, whether we're, we're just having conversation uh, saying, oh, yeah, I'm a believer, uh, I'm, I go to church, I'm a follower of Jesus, or we engage in more active forms of evangelism. Uh, ridicule often comes our way. We get people that sneer at us. We get people that laugh at us. We get people that would make fun of us. And, and for us, uh, you know, that's uncomfortable for us. And, and, and sadly, for many of us, that's enough to say, no, nah, I won't engage in that unless I know it's safe. Well, yeah. persecution then under, under ridicule has done its, has done its work.
0: Right, and I know at the, well, even in the communist world, okay, you just keep it, you know, private. It, You know, even here in Canada until, you know, maybe 20 years ago, it was okay. And if you're a Christian, I mean, there's lots of churches, and I mean, there's still lots of churches. But, uh, you know, people were a little bit more open in sharing their faith. But I think that this whole ridicule thing to me, and again, that's where you start, is very applicable to here in Canada. Uh, and again where, where Paul is talking to his understudy Timothy you know again if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus you will be persecuted so is that a tie in there then Floyd that living a godly life in Christ Jesus is proclaiming the gospel
1: yeah I think I think uh, our friend Eric Foley says it best right that uh, um, persecution uh, is a result of faithful witness and if we are faithful witnesses and and again, uh, martyrs for christ that means a willingness to lay down our lives and to lay down and die to self and and also being willing to uh face you know uh uh, death as a result of being a witness for jesus um yeah faithful witness faithful if we are faithful in our witness we will face some level of opposition and persecution and when i say opposition i i i don't mean to um uh separate the two i I think they can be one and the same
0: yeah now in your book uh you use uh, a fictional character in one sense but it is a culmination of all different kinds of persecution and next week we're going to talk you know about torture and imprisonment and then ultimately martyrdom and so in your book though you have this fictitious character again but it's kind of based on real life people. Because I, when I started reading it, right. I said, Floyd, who are you talking about here? Because I'm going, I right, think right. this is this country and this country. So what you did right. was you use that character to weave in the various kinds of persecution because you wanted to to bring an element to it. And I tell you, I got really hooked into the character. And uh, I mean, oh, it, good. You, you did a great job on it. And I was feeling the emotion. Uh, right. And even though I knew that, okay, you know, but then I would think about people that I'd met and the situations that they were going through. So I love the way you weaved it together. So we start with ridicule. Many Canadians, uh, those in the West, can understand, okay, if I uh, proclaim Jesus, that I might go through some difficulty. Then you move on to harassment. And reality is most of us probably don't face that kind of persecution unless maybe it's in a work situation, that kind of thing. But, but it's a step up, right? Right. Yeah,
1: that's right, and and we'll see that that uh, um, and sometimes those things can happen very quickly. You can move from ridicule to uh, discrimination to defamation to harassment quite quite quickly. You could even do it, and maybe in the same uh, uh, um, time of of uh, opposition, if you will. Um, yeah, so so the harassment level really does intensify the situation, and I think. I think uh, we would feel that as well, and so you can think about, uh, for example, if you're out on the street, let's say you're you're evangelizing, you've decided that you're going to, or you're going to go house to house and hand out, go gospel tracts. and so you do that, and you might get to one house and you hand a track to someone, and he begins to laugh and scoff and 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 call you names, and and maybe as you enter that conversation, uh, you you might you might feel some words that are, are, are discriminatory towards Christians. Uh, uh, and then you might, you might quickly, depending on the person could easily boil over to some form of harassment where, you know, they, they know who you are or they know where you live and they, you know, they, they, uh, they elevate their game, so to speak. And, uh, maybe, uh, um, send you send you hate mail or, yeah. or get a hold of your email and bombard your, you know, with emails or uh, drive by your house. Uh, always when they're driving by, they have a threatening look on their face or an angry look on their, or when you meet them in the street or things like that. So that really does bring a whole new level of intensity to, you know, the opposition that you are facing because of the gospel. But again, I think that, Um, I think these are very real things that can happen in Canada. Uh, I think that uh, we should be prepared. uh, There's this one quote that that, uh, a ministry partner told me, said that you can't be caught off guard by anything you anticipate. And I don't think that in Canada we anticipate as Christians, we don't sit down and think about uh, the consequences of uh, our faith and living out our faith uh, and and anticipating the things that can come our way. And I think that's Richard Wormbrand always bemoaned that fact as well. And he wrote a little book called Preparing for the Underground Church. And he talked about how the different ways that we can prepare uh, and anticipate some of the struggles that would come our way, uh, because we do need to be ready. And I think that uh, in Canada, I think many Christians, and I think maybe that's what with the whole COVID thing um, and, and some of the restrictions that we're seeing in the church, maybe, maybe some of the backlash we're getting there from churches is that they, they are starting to sense that, um, hey, you know, the Canada I grew up in is not the same, same country. You know, the freedoms that I enjoyed as a kid or that we, we felt that we had as Christians, it, it just doesn't seem to be there, or they're slipping or they're eroding. And so uh, their, their, their reaction to the, you know, the COVID restrictions, might might be the fuel of that but um and and that's fine but i think that you know we we need to do a better job i think at uh, anticipating uh the things that could be coming our way and whether that be discrimination how do we handle uh, discrimination how do we handle when when the press malign us in the media and that's happening already
0: I'm sure but how do
1: we handle that right mm-hmm. and i think that you know the book what I try to do in the book is is to look also at, well, how did Jesus handle these things? Because Jesus faced all those things, right, from from the persecution scale. And so I do try to take a close look at, at how Jesus handled those things as well, so that it just prepares our hearts to be able to um, prepare for, you know, whatever persecution comes our way. We don't know, like, you know, in Canada, we don't know, will persecution come to us like like house church Christians in China or Christians in Saudi Arabia or or North Korea. I I mean, it's possible, but we don't know, but I think, I think we need to be prepared for um, any type of persecution that comes our way.
0: Yeah. and And a good point that Don Hutchinson made, Uh, You know, as he was talking about, as we were, you know, this this situation with this pastor in Alberta and other churches that have chose to meet at full capacity here in Alberta when you could have 15% at the time of this uh, interview that we're doing now. So I, I get it, too. Like, there is the psychological part. We've seen Canada going in a direction very secular, uh, becoming mm-hmm. more antagonistic towards Christianity, uh, especially on the moral issues. So those are those things are at play. We see it coming. And I guess some are saying, no, it's happening now. Uh, right. Or we see it very close. And, and And I understand that. And, you know, my heart in this is that we have grace and mercy for each other. Let's not Mm -hmm. let this divide us, uh, because even we've seen division as we've traveled overseas. Just in a persecuted church, one thing I always like to say, they're not perfect. They're just like us. So, okay, I want to just go from your book here. And again, I would encourage people to get it, uh, Trouble on the Way. So we talked about ridicule, which means to deride, make fun of, or mock. Harassment, to disturb, pester, trouble repeatedly. And in some cases, uh, you know, as you were talking about, things come to mind. Now, we move to discrimination. It's to treat or consider or distinguish in favor of or against religious intolerance. Now, many of the nations that we have traveled to, that's a reality. And I mean, that's what our brothers and sisters are going through. So as you were working through the book, how, how did you want to tackle that?
1: Yeah, so the discrimination part is, is it becomes real problematic for uh, Christians because they find that um uh, much of the uh, majority of society actually starts to believe that this information that has been spread about Christians. So, uh, for example, in in, in, uh, in some countries, Christianity is tied to the West because of colonialism. And so they say Christianity, and then it will be propagated throughout the media, throughout, you know, whatever, whatever other sources there are, certainly through their through the majority religious communities that, you know, Christianity is a Western religion and therefore it has no real ties uh, to our country or to our, you know, to a citizen of our country, whether it be Pakistan or Sri Lanka, whatever country that is.
0: Christianity often, like a country like India, you know, in right. modern modern day Pakistan, a part of that actually has a history of St. Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples. So right. this American thing uh, or Western thing just keeps being brought up, but we go, no, it's not. Maybe the version right. of Christianity, that Christianity in these, it's not we're trying to impose a, this foreign religion. It's something that's been there for 2,000 years in many cases.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think in many of these countries, the regular citizen may not know the, necessarily the history of their country in terms of of, of the religious of movements that have come through their country and certainly with Christianity. Uh, But but they would would certainly know more about colonialism and they would certainly know about the missionary movement that came as a result of of colonial activities. And uh, now having become independent and gained their independence, uh, they, they then want to find their own identity. And often, of course, people find their identity in their religion and same with countries, right? Um, and so many of the governments would say that they would, um, you know, they adhere to uh, uh, freedom of religion as found in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. But, but to say one thing and then to practice is a whole, whole other thing, right? And, and then the issue that Christians have is, is that with this disinformation that comes in, then society begins to accept those things as true, and then once society accepts those things as true, discrimination sets in and Christians find that they have no real voice anymore to, to counteract some of the disinformation that is out there.
0: And I think maybe
1: that's a bit of the concern that Christians have in the West, right? That they certainly find that there is a lot of disinformation about the Christian faith, evangelicals or whatnot. And they find that right now we, we still have a bit of a voice in the media or press that we can address those concerns and certainly try to um, lay some of those, uh, some of that disinformation to rest, bring some truth into the situation. But for many other countries, that's not possible. And so, you know, they have to continue to live out their faith then under this this umbrella of disinformation and discrimination. And what does discrimination look like? Well, we know in Pakistan, for example, that, you know, most Christians are relegated to they're, they're in cycles of, of poverty and, and uh, don't have access to quality education. And so they're relegated to, you know, cleaning homes or garbage, garbage collectors or sewage cleaners or street sweepers. Right. Uh, in Iran, you know, it is illegal for you to have any rank if you're a Christian of authority uh, in, in the army. Uh, and you can't uh, rise to certain levels uh, politically as a Christian. And so we see that discrimination come in in, in in many other countries as well, where the same rights that are available to regular citizens are not available to Christian communities. And I have to say, uh, other religious minorities in those countries suffer as well. When we think of communism, you know, Richard and Sabina wrote that not only christians thrown in prison you know other religions you know whether they were whether they were buddhist or muslim uh, practicing buddhists or muslims they were also thrown in prison right under those systems and so other religious minorities suffer as well
0: right and we see that even with the uyghurs in china so then discrimination leads into defamation and what and and your explanation here is to communicate false statements about a person that injures the reputation of that person, and we see a lot of that, Floyd, as we've traveled.
1: Yeah, that's right, and uh, it, it's hard to once once that sets in, that's hard to shake off. And I think that, um, I think that the best way that you counteract that is, is as we see them doing, they just continue to live out their lives, you know, it's interesting. Um, in, in some of these countries uh, when there's a natural disaster that happens. Government agencies will contact Christian organizations and churches first because they know that they will be the first to respond uh, with acts of, of, uh, of humanitarian aid and acts of service and love because they do love their country and they love their fellow men. And so that's how they serve. And, and yet there's this stigma attached to them um, that they can't shake. And so how do you shake it? Well, you continue to do the work of the Great Commission, right? In the spirit of the Great Commandment, you continue to make disciples, you continue to pay the price for uh, reaching the lost, and you do it in the spirit of, of loving God and loving your neighbor. And that is an effective tool, right? It is done and watered with prayer, and, uh, and they go out, and they make disciples, and it's interesting to note, right, that uh, while we uh, Christians in the West often celebrate our freedom, our churches are in decline. And yet, in countries where yeah. Christians are facing these things, even even that where they are defamed and and you know they're they're called all kinds of names, and and uh, and and you know they face such discrimination, the church is growing, it's booming, it's it's exploding in some. Yeah. And that's just such an amazing thing, and a testimony to what happens when you, when you follow the biblical commands to be faithful in your witness and, and trusting God to continue to supply your needs. Again, as you mentioned, they're not perfect, and, and, uh, and they make mistakes, yeah. and uh, they fight with, with unity issues just like we do. But at the end of the day, they, they are faithful in their witness and active, and I would say active witness. Uh, public witness of Christ, and, uh, and the results are are clear.
0: Okay, we're going to leave it right there with Floyd Brobel, but I promise that next time we will continue this discussion on the levels of persecution. And I hope that this is helping you to understand that, you know, as a follower of Jesus, we are going to have opposition. So next time we're going to look at detainment, torture, and martyrdom. And what does martyrdom look like? Is is that beyond dying for your faith? We'll explore that next time. By the way, if you'd like to get a copy of Floyd's excellent book, Trouble on the Way, Persecution in the Christian Life, you can go to vomcanada.com slash trouble. That's vomcanada.com slash trouble. Well, thanks for joining me. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.